Amen. So as you are grabbing your seat, go ahead and grab your Bibles and begin open, opening them to Genesis chapter 41. We'll be in Genesis chapter 41 together today. Um, so good to be back here with you guys this morning after uh, having last Sunday uh, off, but super, super excited to be here with you guys uh, today. So today we're going to jump into a passage of scripture that is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because in this passage we get to see 13 years of work and purpose that God has been doing behind the scenes uh, come into focus in this one chapter. And it is a beautiful thing. And guys, this week, um, as I'm studying this, God just reminded me of, of how good he is and how powerful he is and how big he is. And I kept thinking back to my ways are higher than your ways. And this is just one of those passages as we walk through together today, we're going to realize that, man, God is so other than us. Like God isn't thinking one step ahead of us. God in his infinite wisdom and knowledge is light years ahead of where we are in these things. And that should bring us encouragement. That should bring us comfort uh, to realize that God truly is in control of all things. The sovereignty of God is going to be on display in this passage in an, in an incredible way this morning. And so just to kind of set this thing up, um, sometimes in our lives we get the opportunity uh, to go through a lot of things and then get to a place in our lives where we're able to look back on all the things that we've gone through and realize just what God was trying to accomplish through that. Not everybody gets those moments, but occasionally uh, we get to, to see those moments in our lives. And it, it made me think of um, uh, this idea of, of being at the pinnacle of something, right? Like the view from the top. It made me start thinking of uh, like climbing a mountain and being able to look back on all the things that you've done and, and to see where you're at now. And it reminded me a couple of years ago, I think it was about 2017, Aaron's uncle, Mike, he's, he's just one of those like outdoorsy guys, right? Like, I mean, this guy, uh, he hunts and he fishes and he goes all over the world and he's just an adventurous guy. Like, he likes doing uh, really cool things. He spent a great deal of time in Africa um, on safaris and hunting and doing different things like that. Well, one of the items on his bucket list um, was to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So it's uh, 19,000 plus feet. In fact, there's the picture. So uh, from the very base, you guys can, can see there that that, um, that thing is humongous. Actually, I was looking at the picture. I'm like, that picture really doesn't do it justice because it, it seems a little small in that picture, but you've got to realize how far uh, away you are from there for perspective. But so uh, on his bucket list, he wanted to climb this mountain. Um, and so he got with a group of people and they begin to journey up. And actually, the next picture you'll see here is the, the picture um, that they take at the summit. So um, not everybody has one of these sitting around their house. And not everybody's been to the top of this mountain. But he's been to the top, and now he's got this picture here. And if you read on there, that's 19,341 feet at the point that he's standing right there. It's the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. And from there, you can look out and see some unbelievable breathtaking type views. There you can see, like you're up above uh, the clouds at this point. And so it's just this unbelievable um, experience that you, you get to be a part of. And what I'm showing you here, uh, these are all the views from the very top. 
Um, so you get to see what he saw once he made it to the top. But what we don't see are, are what it takes to get there, right? And so um, on this journey, um, it, this isn't like something that you can just tackle in an afternoon, right? Um, I think it took him uh, close to a week to be able to climb this with the group of people that he's with. So this is a week's-long journey. They're staying uh, in tents at night. He described to us, he's telling us the story of just how difficult it was at times that there were people in groups that give up and they return. They don't even make it to the top. But the whole idea being that there is a lot of things that it requires and a lot of things that it takes to be able to get to the top there to take your picture at that summit. And when you get up there and you can take your picture, you not only get the picture, but you get the view of everything from the top, if you will. And, and it just makes everything that came before it so much worth it, right? Like it, it puts this whole thing in perspective. Nobody gets to the top of that, that peak there and decides, you know what, I probably should have never done this. Nobody does that. It typically, you typically see people uh, giving up on the journey up, the ones that never made it there. But no one that gets to the top looks back and says, I probably should have never done this. In fact, they get to the top and they look back and they're thankful that they stuck with it and they continue to do it because now their perspective has changed. And all of those crazy difficult things that they had gone through and all those experiences that they had gone through to get to where they're at now come into focus and they become worth it. And it reminded me of our text here today. As you guys know, we've been studying through the book of Genesis. And we met several weeks ago this young man named Joseph, who God gave two very, very important dreams to. And he kind of showed him the end before he even got started, right? And what Joseph doesn't know at the beginning when he has these dreams is what it's going to take to get to where God uh, wants him to be in the future. So we know, looking back on this whole story, we'll find out today that Joseph has been on a 13-year journey. God showed him the end from the beginning. He showed him that, that I'm going to use you in a powerful way. And every step of the way since then has seemed like a step in the wrong direction. If you guys remember the story, it's God, God shows him this vision of where he's going to go. And then the first thing that happens to him is what? His own family turns on him. And then what do they do? They, they plot to kill him, and instead of killing him, they, they settle on at least selling him so they can get some money. And then he finds himself in Potiphar's house. And again, he's just trying to do the right thing, right? I'm just trying to be faithful where God has me. And he just keeps waking up day after day, being the, the best servant in that house that he can possibly be. And God begins to bless him and show favor upon him. And so I'm sure in Joseph's mind, he's thinking, man, I'm tracking here in the right direction now, right? And then he's falsely accused of something that he doesn't do, and he ends up finding himself in prison. And again, all along the way, these things don't seem to be working out the way that God had shown him that they would work out. In our text today, we're going to see that Joseph, after 13 years of wondering, what now? God is going to show him in a day that everything that he's gone through and every experience that he's gone through has not been wasted it's been on purpose, and he's also going to show Joseph that the wait was worth it. At the end of the text today, Joseph's going to look back on all of these experiences, and he's not going to wish that anything would change because he's going to realize that God had him exactly where he wanted him every single day of this journey that he found himself on. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into this text and unpack it today. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you for your 
your sovereignty, God. We thank you, God, that you are a God that is in control of every situation. And not only our situations, God, but you are in control of every detail, of every circumstance that we find ourselves in. I pray that this morning that we would stand in awe and wonder of your bigness and your goodness towards us, God. I pray as we unpack this text, God, that you would use it to speak to us personally, and God, that you would challenge us. I pray that you remind us of these big spiritual truths that we're going to unpack here today, and God, I pray that you, more than anything, would make us walk out of this room worshiping you, God, for your power and your glory and your, your absolute goodness towards us, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 41. Let's go ahead and jump into this. We've got quite a bit of text to cover here today. Um, Certain sections I'm going to read, certain sections I'll summarize because there are 57 verses in this chapter, and I want you guys to get out before tomorrow morning, okay? So we're going to go ahead and jump in. So read with me the first eight verses of uh, Genesis chapter 41. It says, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Let me pause right here. I know you guys are like, you said go fast. You're already stopping. This is important for context, though, because remember last week what had happened. Joseph had helped interpret the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer, and he said what to the, to the cupbearer? Remember me, right? So in Joseph's mind, I'm stuck here in prison, and if you would just help me out here, remember me, let Pharaoh or somebody know about what I've done. Maybe they'll show me favor, and maybe I can get myself out of this prison. And the cupbearer agrees to do that, right? He says, of course I will remember you. And just like any normal person, he gets focused back on himself and what's going on in his life and completely forgets about Joseph. So this isn't just a couple days that have gone by. It says now two whole years. So Joseph has found himself in prison day after day after day for two whole years. After two whole years, it says, though, that Pharaoh had a dream that he was standing by the Nile. Verse 2. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So in the context here, Pharaoh has uh, these dreams, and they're very unique dreams. you got to remember, dreams here uh, in Eastern culture are a little bit different than dreams for us, right? Like, we all have dreams. In fact, uh, research says that every single person has between three and, like, seven dreams every single night. Uh, Most of them, though, are quickly forgotten. Quick show of hands. Who, Who here would say that you remember quite a bit of your dreams? Does anybody other than my wife? Okay. Good. I just want to make sure that, that 
that uh, she's not the only one. Like, she remembers every dream that she has, and, and oftentimes we even like, oh, this is crazy. Like, let me tell you about this dream I had and, and, and that kind of stuff. I'm like in the camp that's like, I don't know if I dream. I don't know if my, my brain is broken or, or does it work right. Very rarely do I remember dreams. But the, usually the ones I do remember are, are something really, really crazy going on, right? Like uh, some of the most common dreams people have are being chased by another person, uh, how many of you have had the dream of falling? Has anybody ever had a dream of falling and you get that feeling like you're just never going to, to hit the ground? What about flying? Anybody had the, a dream about flying? Like, those are the types of dreams that I want to have, right? Like, I'm like, I, I want to have the flying dream, but I always get like the, the crazy guy outside the house and I'm defending my homestead like a, you know, some trained ninja, which I'm not, so clearly it's a dream. Uh, by the way, have you ever noticed you always defeat whatever it is you're after, guys? Yeah, men in the room, is that true? Like, I mean, like, somebody's trying to break in your house in your dream, and all of a sudden, you know some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you, you take care of business almost every single time. But we just think of dreams quite differently. In the Eastern culture, especially in this time, dreams would have meant a great deal. That's why uh, Pharaoh is immediately looking uh, for an interpretation of this dream right away. There's a strong belief that all dreams mean something, right? Like I said, ours are just like, I don't know. I was like just flying around or falling or doing something. And this guy's dreaming about these big fat cows coming up out of the Nile River and, and these skinny ones. And then the skinny ones come out and they eat up the fat ones, but they don't uh, get fat themselves. They stay skinny. And then the same thing with the ears of grain, uh, the description on here, I believe it says, is um, that there were seven ears uh, thin and blighted. So even just the representation of the, the number of heads of grain on here is, is a lot. Seven is a lot on a head of grain. And so it, it's just this picture that he has of these kind of crazy things going on. And it says that he's troubled. He's troubled because he doesn't know what they mean. And so Pharaoh summons everybody he can within his kingdom. Um, uh, for us, he, he calls in, it says he calls in for all the magicians of Egypt and all of his wise men. This, and remember how powerful Pharaoh is here. This would be like the president of the United States waking up tomorrow morning, having this really weird dream, and just summoning all the pastors and, and all, of, all of the brainiacs in the United States to come uh, into him and, and, and tell him what this dreams mean. That's kind of what's going on here. So it says that he's troubled and he sends for all these guys, but no one could interpret them to Pharaoh. Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When he told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when they had shaved him... He had changed his clothes. He came before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, It is not in me. 
but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So this is a very convenient time for the cupbearer to remember uh, what was going on. Remember, He had told Joseph that I won't forget you. And he goes about his business. He forgets about Joseph. Two years have now passed. And now they're in a situation where Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. And now all of a sudden the cupbearer um, is, is remembering this. And I'm just trying to put myself in Pharaoh's shoes. Remember, Pharaoh is so troubled by this that he has now summoned all of the wise men and the magicians in all of Egypt. And nobody can answer. And then the cupbearer remembers I mean, think about this for a second. How many people are out there in the world that the cupbearer knows can interpret dreams like this? I mean, there's, there's one that should come to mind very quickly, and he has waited to this point. And what he means by, I've remembered my offenses today, is he's admitting, he's saying, listen, I, I've, I'm remembering now that I've, I've, I've offended, I have offense against this guy. I, I forgot all about him. This guy that interpreted this dream for me, um, I was supposed to let you know about him way, way back when, but I totally forgot, and I'm just now remembering today. But he might be able to help you out because when I had a dream and the baker had a dream, he was able to interpret it to us, and exactly what he said would happen, happened. So Pharaoh's like, okay, that's the guy that I'm looking for, right? Like, why, as, as a leader, you're thinking, why are you just now telling me this? When I woke up this morning and I needed the dream interpreted, it would have been really convenient. for, Like, we could have saved the travel expenses for all the guys around the whole kingdom, and we could have just went and got Joseph. And so he says, go get Joseph. And so Joseph is just minding his own business in jail. He just woke up. Uh, the, another day again for two whole years is just another day for Joseph until he gets word that Pharaoh is summoning you. So now Joseph knows I'm not being summoned by just anybody, but Pharaoh himself wants to speak with you. And so the Bible tells us that Joseph begins to uh, shave his head and his face. He's cleaning himself up, right? Uh, to the Egyptians, unlike the Hebrews, long hair and beards, those were not a thing, right? They were like the clean-shaven, clean-cut guys, and that was the expectation. So Joseph is needing to get himself cleaned up. And so he stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him that I've had a dream. There's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's response is incredible here. Joseph's response is, no, it's not in me, but God can interpret it. So right away, we're meeting a guy that is now full of humility and ready to give credit away to God in this moment. Joseph is just simply saying, listen, if I'm going to be able to interpret anything here today, it's not because of anything I've done, but it's because God is going to show favor to you, Pharaoh. And so let me summarize verses uh, coming up after this. So, so Pharaoh, verses 17 through 24, if you guys want to go back and read it on your own, you're, you're more than welcome. He just retells the story or the dreams to Joseph. So he goes back through. There's the big cow, and the little cow eats the big cow, and the head's of grain, and he goes through all of those things. And so uh, when you get down to verse 25, it says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed it to Pharaoh, what he's about to do. And then he gives the interpretation. So the interpretation from Joseph is this. The seven cows and the seven heads of grain represent seven years, right? So the, the plump cows and the good grain represent seven years of, of plenty, right? And in fact, more than plenty. You're going to have seven years of, of produce like you've never seen before in all of Egypt. But it's going to be followed by seven 
terrible years of famine. So that's what the seven thin cows and the seven uh, heads of grain, the bad heads of grain represent, is seven terrible years of famine. And the famine is going to be so severe that it's not only going to cut into your reserves, but it's going to eat up all that you've produced in those first seven years. And so Joseph is, is explaining this to Pharaoh uh, so that he would understand what the dream means. And then he also goes on to say, what you need to do then is to set somebody up over this whole thing because you're going to need to start storing away grain, right? So it's the rainy day fund. If, if you're in the room and you have a rainy day fund, that's what that's for there, right? You're to take a little bit of your money now and, and put it away for a, a day to come in case you need to get in. And that's what Joseph's saying. What we need to do is come together and, and create a plan. We need to take some of the grain and, and some of the produce that's going to be in the next seven years, and we're going to store it away so that we've got enough on hand to get us through the seven really, really bad years. And so he tells Pharaoh... Uh, that you should look for somebody that is wise and discerning. And then verse 34, he says, Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So he's told Pharaoh what the dreams mean. He's given Pharaoh some wise counsel. You need to find somebody to appoint as an overseer of this whole thing. And then here's the plan. Why don't you set aside one-fifth of what you produce over the next seven years to get you through the seven years of bad. So at this point, Joseph is just really trying to be uh, as helpful to Pharaoh as he possibly can. But he's not really doing anything to set his own self up. All right? This is a very different guy than we saw when he was 17 years old, right? Remember when he was 17, he got the two dreams, and what was the first thing he did? He had to go find somebody to tell him to, right? And he told his brothers. And the Bible tells us that he had bragged on himself over and over and over to the point where his brothers couldn't even stand to be around him anymore. This is a different man than we saw back then. Now this is a man that's standing before Pharaoh that's not trying to puff himself up. He's given all the credit to God, and he's just simply trying to help Pharaoh out and say, hey, this is, this is what uh, God is telling me to tell you to do. And then he's just kind of backing off and backing away from the scene. And so we pick up in verse 37 to Pharaoh's response. Verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Does this sound very familiar? This is like Potiphar's house. This is like the prison. And now this is also true under Pharaoh's command. Only to me will you find yourself second. Verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in fine garments of uh, fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. 
Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, some really cool names in here, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So this is the craziest part of the story to me. We've been going through this slowly over 13 years, asking ourselves, what now? What now? Joseph keeps finding himself in these terrible situations. And just when it looks like it's going to go really well for him, it makes a 180 and he ends up in a worse place than he was before. And this guy just woke up this morning in prison, summoned by Pharaoh, has no idea what's about to happen in his life, interprets the dreams to Pharaoh, not so that he could be exalted, but just so that he could be faithful again to what God has called him to do. And Pharaoh decides, you know what? I like you. You're the kind of guy that I think I can trust. Is there anybody that we're going to be able to find that has the wisdom that this man has, this wisdom that comes from God? And even all of his magicians and all of his wise men are like, no, probably not. Don't, I don't want to take the job, right? Like, I know the expectations are going to be high. This sounds like a, a big deal. Um, and you're probably not going to find a better guy than this. And so Pharaoh says, you're the man. I want to set you up in charge of this whole plan. I, I love what you've told me. And now I'm going to give you the power to be able to execute the plan that, that you've said. And so in an instant. In an instant, Joseph goes from a guy who woke up that morning in jail to second in command of all of Egypt. Why? Because God wanted it to be that way. It's what we've been looking at. This is God's grand plan, his masterpiece that he's been working on for the last 13 years not only in the personal life of Joseph, but as we're going to see in the text here a second, in a much grand, a grander way here, that God is going to put his sovereignty and power on display here to bring himself an unbelievable amount of glory. And he decides to wait that long over 13 years and then change everything in one afternoon. And Joseph now finds himself as second in command of Egypt, riding around in Potiphar's second best chariot, having people say, bow the knee as he comes by. It's an unbelievable picture of the power of God in this situation. And make no mistake, this whole thing is happening this way because this is exactly the way that God intended this to play itself out. God is patient. Remember, God is long-suffering, and God rarely works in the way that we would expect in the time frame that we would, we would expect. So look at verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put the food in the cities. He put every city... At or excuse me, he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. 
The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is the moment. This is the view from the top that Joseph finds himself in now. He's able in this very specific moment to now look back over 13 years of uncertainty, of struggle, of trial, of absolute craziness, and now see that God had a plan all along. And that's what he's saying here. He names his boys this because he says, For God has made me forget all of my hardship in my father's house, and God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God's grand plan has come into focus for Joseph, and Joseph is beginning to see how he is fitting into what God was doing all along. God was faithful in this moment. Verse 53, and we'll finish this thing out. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe all over the earth. I think this week as I was studying this, God really, really again challenged me with his bigness and his goodness and his sovereignty and his power. And to be able to look at this text of scripture, there is so much going on here. And it's unbelievable to me to see how God works in such intricate ways and in so many layers. And so that's what I want us to talk about as we, as we conclude today. There, there, there's three things that I want you to see that God was doing over the course of the last 13 years to accomplish what we see happening here, right? God is using these divine events to accomplish three things, and it's so beautiful. Like I said, when we get to the end and you can step back and see the whole thing, you see how unbelievably good God is. And how sovereign he is and how in control he is over all things. So the first thing we see here, God uses divine events to change and grow us. To change and grow us. This is unbelievable. During the whole 13-year process, there is one major thing that God is doing here in the life of Joseph. And that is God is conforming Joseph into his image God is growing and stretching Joseph and making him into the man that, not the man that he wanted to be, but the man that God needed him to be for the moment that we see here today. And God, like I said, is patient and he is long-suffering and he knows that it takes a long time for us to get stuff, right? That's just how we are. We typically don't learn uh, lessons in, in one try. Usually it takes us a while, and what we're seeing here is over the period of 13 years, God changes this man to the point to where he's almost unrecognizable when he stands before Pharaoh. Like I said, the 17-year-old Joseph, he, he wasn't ready for what God had planned for him. When God just gave him a, a small glimpse through a dream, he became so puffed up that he couldn't stop bragging about it to his brothers. 
So God had to work that out of him because the man that God wanted him to be 13 years later was a man that was humble and a man that was ready to execute the plan that God had laid out before him. And it's cool to see how God changes Joseph in this. He's now humble. He's patient. He's forgiving. Remember, God has made me forget all of my affliction in my father's house. That's Joseph saying, listen, I'm not holding any grudges against anybody anymore. I've even forgiven my brothers. This is a changed man. And I hope that's true of every single person in this room. Every single day that you have in your life that you're walking with Christ, you, be, you should be becoming more like him and not less. Right? That's the idea. After coming to saving faith in Christ, we're all pretty rough around the edges. Right? But the idea is like in this case, if God is working on you for 13 years 13 years later, you should look a lot different than you did 13 years before, right? That God would be growing us and working on us. And like I said, the way that God does this is always through the classroom of life. That's what we've always talked about, the classroom of life. It's funny that it works that way. If God wants to make you humble, he doesn't just sprinkle a little humility on you and then you just walk humble from that day on. No, uh, usually God has his ways of making us humble, right? He'll take our pride and he'll put us in situations where we don't have so much pride anymore, right? And he, go, he does that through a process. Same thing with patience here. Joseph, man, God knew that what he was going to ask Joseph to do to execute this plan here in Egypt was going to require a man that was patient and long-suffering, to gather food, think about that, for seven years for something that hasn't even happened yet and you're the only one that says it's going to happen? Like, Joseph's reputation is on the line here. He's going to have to be a patient man and so God creates in him patience through experience. Again, he just doesn't pray, God, make me patient. Be careful about that prayer, by the way. I prayed that one time. I've, I have five kids now. God will make you patient, but he's going to do it by putting you in situations where you're forced to be patient. He doesn't just sprinkle a little patience on you, just like with the humility, just like forgiveness. Man, you want to talk about something in the Bible that is so easy to read on these pages and incredibly difficult to actually act out in your own life? Well, like I said a couple weeks ago, we all love forgiveness, we love God's forgiveness. We like to be forgiven. But it is so hard for us to be forgiving towards other people. We typically hold a long record of wrongs, right? I could probably even list off things right now this morning that, that I remember that happened to me from people from years and years and years ago. But those are the things that God gives you so that you learn to be forgiving. Again, back to the kid thing. It's one thing I learned from a, a long time ago. I was, always thought, like, why don't you just, why won't you just be obedient, right? Parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Like, just, like, you don't, like, kids, this is for your own good. Like, we don't wake up in the morning going, I wonder how we can get on to our kids today and make their lives miserable. No, like, I don't even want, I, I just want a day where I don't have to address anything, right? Just one day. 
But that's not the way that it works. I'm, I'm convinced that God gives us children to teach us all these things, but also to remind us about what real forgiveness is and what real patience is and what real humility is. And also to remind us we are that same way towards God. I remember very distinctly one day, I'm sitting there thinking, I actually said out loud to Aaron, I say, why don't they just do what we say? And it was like, you ever had one of those moments where like the Holy Spirit just kicks in your, your heart's door and it's like, that's you. It was like one of those moments for me. I'm like, why don't they just do what we say? We want, we have their best interest in mind. And it was like God's, and the Holy Spirit was like, listen, that's you towards your heavenly father. Why don't you just do what you've been asked to do? Again, God will grow us and change us through experience over a long period of time. And let me just say this. Our life events teach us and change us. But oftentimes our most painful experiences bring about the most lasting change. I know there's people in this room who've been through some very, very challenging and difficult days, even some dark days. But oftentimes when you come out the other side, when you get the view from the top and you're able to look back on your life, oftentimes those are the things that people wouldn't want to walk through again, but they're things that they would never want to take away because of where they find themselves in relationship to Christ with that. So oftentimes our most painful experiences bring about the most lasting change. I remember when Cameron was very young, one of the things that we would uh, have to tell him over and over again is don't put uh, things in the, in the outlets, in the, in the electrical sockets, you know, and so we would tell him all the time, don't do that, don't do that, and I don't know if this is hereditary, it must be, but I did this when I was growing up, I put a key in, in one, and uh, only one time though. I'd put it in one time, and then that's kind of the whole moral of this story. So, so Cameron is, is being told over and over again, don't do that. Well, one day we're, we're getting ready for something in the bathroom, and he climbs up on the counter, and he gets mom's tweezers. And he's like, man, I wonder what this would be like. And so he puts the tweezers in the outlet, and uh, he gets blown across the room. All the lights go out, and we find him over in this uh, smoldering fetal position, you know, it's like he's still smoking. The room smells strange, like burnt hair and all those good things. And uh, you know what? He's never done it again. It only happened one time. It was a painful experience. See, just telling him wasn't enough. He had to experience it. And after he went through it and after he went and he experienced it, guess what? He learned a great lesson that he has not had to revisit yet. He's turning 12 this week, so I hope that he doesn't uh, do it again. That would be be uh, reverting, going in the wrong direction here. But the whole idea of this is that God is growing and changing Joseph. He wants us as the readers to see this, but it's also a reminder that this is how God works in our lives as individuals as well. He's going to change you through a process. And it's not always quick and it's not always painless, but he will conform you into the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, you will be conformed into the image of his son. Number two, real fast, God not only is changing Joseph, but he's accomplishing his purposes. He's accomplishing his purposes. And I know we've seen this for several weeks, but I want you to see this. I said before, God is working in layers 
right? God is working in layers here. He's working uniquely in Joseph's life to change him as an individual man, but God is also working in the bigger picture of the story so that Joseph is right where he needs to be, where God needs him to be, so that he can have him interpret this dream for Pharaoh. He's accomplishing his purpose, and God is working on something so much bigger than Joseph could even imagine here. Like I said, this brother woke up this morning eating breakfast in prison, just another day of feeling forgotten and not knowing what's going on, and all of a sudden he finds himself before Pharaoh and now second in command of all of Egypt. And I bet you, in fact, most commentators all agree that the the best case scenario in Joseph's mind here is probably if, if if Pharaoh likes what I interpret, he'll let me out of jail, Right? But God has something so much bigger in store for him than just letting him out of jail. Like, I don't want you just let out of jail. I want you in second in command of all of Egypt over this whole thing because I'm trying to accomplish something here. So God is accomplishing his purposes. He's working in the life of an individual man. But he's also setting the stage to create this position For Joseph that he wants him in to accomplish his purposes. It's very important for us to remember that. That God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. If he decides to take a Hebrew slave and put him in charge of all of Egypt, he can do that. That's what we're learning in this story. If if God wants to wait 13 years to slowly, methodically change this man's life and then put him in a position in one afternoon, he can do that because he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he can do it however he wants. Hence the prison to the palace in one day. These are plans that no man would come up with or no people would be able to understand, but God understood them, and they're God's plans, and he will accomplish his purposes. He can do whatever, whenever, however. So how should we respond to that? With total trust and obedience. Total trust and obedience. God didn't miss anything the first go around. Remember two years ago? That wasn't a mistake. God didn't mess that up. God, did you, did you see the chance that you had to get me out of prison? You missed it. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but you missed it. It's gone. And God's going, no, 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 I need you to just be patient. Hold on for two more years because there's something that I'm going to do that you don't even understand yet. But we should respond with total trust and obedience. And remember this. Remember that from the very beginning, even Jesus himself, when he calls his disciples... He invites us to be a part of his story. I think there's so many Christians walking around this world that have got that flipped around. And that's why everybody's grouchy and upset and not content. Because things aren't going the way that we expect them to go. Because what we've done is we've invited God to come in to be a part of our story. And God, here are the things that you're allowed to do. And here are the things that you're not allowed to do. And here's the timetables that I need you to do them in as well. And we give God our list of things of here's what you need to do, and here's how you can accomplish it, and here's when you can accomplish it. And it's backwards. God is inviting us to be a part of his story. And when we get those in proper perspective, it changes the question from why to what. Instead of, why are these things happening to me, we view it as, God, what do you have in store for me through what I'm going through right now? 
You see, there's some people in this room who have gone through some terrible, terrible, dark things that God has been able to use in an incredible way to bless the, in the life of someone else. Erin lost her mom many, many, many years ago. And I can't tell you the countless number of people she's been able to sit down with and just be with and encourage that are going through a very similar situation. But God has used it in an incredible way. But again, we could just spend all of our time sitting around going, why? Instead of asking what, the better question is what. Because if we start asking what, then we see that we fit into God's story and we see how we fit into God's story and we see how God wants to use us moving forward. So remember, he's accomplished his purpose. But third, last but not least, he's bringing himself glory. Again, he's working in layers. I love this. Over the course of 13 years, like I said, his masterpiece is coming into focus here, right? In the course of all of the events that have taken place in the last 13 years, God has worked uniquely in the life of one man. God has also set the stage so that he will have a position that's over all of Egypt. And then God is moving in an even bigger way than that with this famine. God is setting the stage for Egypt to become the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. Why? So that all nations have to go to Egypt during the famine for grain, including his own people. What we see happening here is God working so specifically and so generally, and when you put it together, you just can't help but stand in wonder and awe that, God, you could change a man, you could save a people, and you could provide salvation for the entire world all in one plan that nobody saw coming. Not even Joseph understand the, the whole scope and, uh, and sequence of these events. But because he was faithful and because he trusted God, he was able to go through this experience, and now he's on the, the end to say, God, you have brought yourself glory, and how do we respond to that? We respond in worship and awe and wonder, again, of the goodness and bigness of God. I was thinking this week as I was preparing this, this is so reminiscent of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Of God working out a plan that not everybody saw coming. In fact, most nobody saw coming. You see, when Jesus sent his only son, most people who understood the scriptures up to that point were expecting some sort of military conquest or some sort of uh, overthrow in that lifetime. But God was doing something so much bigger than that. Something that the people couldn't even begin to comprehend and understand until it happened. Even the disciples themselves struggled with understanding what it was that God was doing. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died and he rose again three days later, God's masterpiece came into focus. And the world got to see what God had been working on this whole time. This whole time. God had been working towards something that was unbelievable, that would change the personal lives of individuals and that would set the stage for this life and the life to come in a way that nobody saw coming but everybody has to now marvel at and stand in wonder and awe. And that's what the view from the top is 
Joseph finds himself in this situation now where he can look back on everything that's happened in his life and understand that, man, God had a purpose and a plan all along. And he, we can all just be encouraged by that fact and rest in that. Trust God. Trust God to the point to where we offer him blank checks with our lives. That's what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is. I present my body as a living sacrifice. It's our spiritual act of worship. God, we want to be a part of your plan. He wants us to be a part of his plan. And that's the challenge this morning. Just remember that as an encouragement. God is so big and so good and in full control of every single situation. So as we prepare to, to respond this morning, I, I just want to extend that to you. A couple of those things that we looked at, how should we respond? The first one, we can respond with gratitude. We can respond with gratitude that God doesn't leave us where we're at. We can also respond with gratitude that he convicts us of our sins, right? A lot of times we don't like that, but it's good that God convicts us of our sins because he doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us to be conformed into the image of his son, and he won't let us stay there. So for some of you in the room this morning, maybe that's how you need to respond. You need to respond with gratitude towards God. And for some of you, maybe you just need to, to realize that God, the reason why you're going through what you are right now and under heavy conviction is because God doesn't want you to stay where you're at. So you need to come down here today. Maybe you need to just pray with us or maybe you need to use this as an altar and just do business with God. For some of you in the room, it's just the understanding that what you're going through right now, you may never get all the answers for, but just trust that God is in control. He's not ever ever caught off guard and he has your ultimate good in mind so you can respond to him with total trust and total obedience no matter what you're going through and for some of us as we sing here just to respond in worship that God has done something so amazing and so wonderful I thought about that the other day I'm oftentimes guilty myself of forgetting how incredible God's story for us really is and how incredible our salvation is that we would never forget how undeserving we are of salvation and how gracious God is towards us. So I'm going to ask Roy to come and, 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 and the team to come now and, and lead us in a time of response, but that's what I'm asking you. And for some of you in the room, maybe today you need to, to do business with God for the very first time. Maybe God's made it very clear that this relationship with him that we're talking about, you don't know anything about. But the Bible tells us that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you can experience real forgiveness of your sins. And instead of going to a very real place called hell one day, you can spend eternity with God forever simply by believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's offered to you as a free gift. So this is your time of response this morning. I don't know exactly how you need to respond, but I know that the Holy Spirit will be very specific where I've been vague. So let me pray for you this morning and then we'll, we'll respond. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, for the, just the reminder, God, that um, you're in control of everything. And we know that, God, but sometimes we just need to be reminded. Over and over again, we need to be reminded. God, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the incredible salvation that you provided for us. Even bigger than the salvation you provided in the story that we just read, God, for your people through food, God, you have provided salvation for people through the blood of your son and offer as a free gift eternal life and right relationship with you. So, Father, be with us this morning. Be very specific where I've been general, God, and pray that 
people would have the boldness to respond to do whatever you ask them to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.